Good morning. As I was preparing for our return to the Gospel of Mark, um, you can see on the road with Jesus. Uh, we're we're going to go on the road with Jesus for the next uh, couple of months. We're going to look at chapter 7 and 8, and, and we're looking at the life of Jesus. And basically, Jesus is he's kind of wrapping up his Galilean ministry. And at the end of chapter 8, what happens is Jesus begins to tell the people that he's, he's going to go to the cross. He begins to tell them exactly what's going to happen in his life and what that's going to entail. So what I want to do is I kind of want to go on a journey, if you will, on the road with Jesus. As we, as we look at the, the teachings of Jesus. Now, the teachings of Jesus actually confront our lives. It confronts our mind. It confronts how we live and how we're to operate and how we're to relate to him. And so as I was looking at the text for this morning, um, and I knew what I was going to deal with, I, I began to think, that, well, what are some of the traditions in the church? Is it, does the universal church have some traditions? Of course we do. And, and what these are, traditions are basically um, beliefs that people might have. They might not specifically be in the Bible, but we've kind of derived them for the Bible. So we have specific traditions. For example, some people believe that the only Bible that you should use is the King James Version of the Bible, that that is the only translation. So they would never think of using, using the New American Standard Bible, the NIV, or, or even a, a, a paraphrase Bible. They would never think of that because what they would believe is that the King James Version is the only version of the Bible they use. We have our traditions that we hold on to. What about what you wear in church? Do we have any traditions about what we wear in church? Now, Bruce grew up here. Many of you have grown up here. There's no doubt that you have seen how dress has changed over the course of 25, 30 years. 25, 30 years ago, the men wore suits, ties. The ladies wore dresses. Now, one of the gals who I was talking with about this pastor said, Oh, I remember when there was a time on the platform where you did not dress in slacks. You wear you, you wore a dress. That was obviously the ladies. Um, you wore a dress on the platform. You just didn't wear anything else. Uh, Diana talked to me, and she said, you know, there was a time when it was a crime to wear short pants at a Sunday evening service. Why? Because we have our traditions about the kind of clothes that we wear. By the way, you see what I'm wearing? Did anybody notice I'm wearing jeans? You did, huh? Why is that? Here's the tension with me wearing jeans. I begin to think, through, well, what, if, well what, if, what, what is an older person going to think? Have they thought I've gone, totally gone nuts, that I'm, I'm being disrespectful for the honor of God's word? Am I being disrespectful or for a, a worship service because I'm wearing jeans? My father-in-law is wearing a hat today. And you never wear hats in church, right? I'll tell you what. I want my father-in-law to wear a hat any time that he comes to church because I know why he's wearing it and I know what it means. And I would much rather have my father-in-law wearing a hat and coming to church than him having to worry about wearing a hat. You see how our traditions grab a hold of us and they change us and they make us act certain ways? What about music preferences? You know, there are some people who believe that the only way to sing is through a hymnal. And the only right kind of singing is when you have the hymnal in front of you. And they would never think of some of the contemporary music that we have, the Michael W. Smith kind of music, C.C. Winans, all that other kind of, of music that is so rich and wonderful, where they embrace the lyrics of God's word. They maybe embrace the lyrics of a hymn, and maybe they change the tune a little bit. 
We, we have our preferences when it comes to, we have our traditions when it comes to how we operate in the church. And I'm not even talking about dancing, drinking, tattoos. I'm not even talking about any of those. Because we all have our opinions, we all have our thoughts. And what's interesting is, is most people, if you have a thought about a tattoo or dancing or drinking or anything like that, most likely it's derived from the Bible. It might not say, thou shalt never do this, but there's no doubt it's derived from Scripture. And the reason I bring this up is because Jesus is confronted by the religious leaders, by the elders of the day, by the teachers of the law. He is confronted. The Son of God is confronted about the practices of his disciples. They don't like it. Mark chapter 7, verse 5, this is what they say to him. They say this, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Listen, the tradition the rules, the regulations of the elders were vitally important to these people because they thought that in them was life. When you follow the rules, when you follow the regulations, when you follow the traditions of the elders, that is what opens up your understanding of God. And their understanding of God was derived from what they did externally as opposed to what was going on on the inside. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to confront He's going to confront them, and he confronts us about maybe some of the traditions that we might hold today. And so that's where we're going to go today, and we'll see what the Lord has to say. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, and I am reading from the NIV. Now, if you hold to a preference of the, the King James Version, God bless you. Glad that you're here. Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees and some teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, they gathered around Jesus and they saw some of his disciples eating foods with hands that were unclean, that is unwashed. Now what, what Mark does here, see the parentheses? What Mark is doing is Mark is writing to a Gentile audience. So what he does, he offers a commentary. He's going to give kind of a description of, of what's going on. He, he describes in commentary form to explain to the Gentiles the problem here. Verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Verse 5, so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written. These people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And just so that they would get the point, he says, by the way, let me give you an example. In verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by the sake of your traditions that you have handed down, and you do many things like this. 
So what Jesus is going to do is he's going to confront the people. He's going to confront the religious leaders about how they see and observe their traditions. And maybe what he'll do is he'll confront the way that we might see some of our traditions. Not just traditions in the church, but maybe you have some family traditions. Maybe you have some really important family traditions. Maybe those things have been handed down and you're trying to to hang on to those and pass those on to the next generation. I think what God would say is, let's make sure that those are rooted in Scripture. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Father, thank you for the Word of God that we have that confronts our lives. It comforts us. It guides us. It directs us. Lord, it ultimately reveals how we can love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Father, ultimately what we want to do is we want to honor you. We want to worship you. Lord, not in vain, but in spirit and in truth. And so, Father, I ask that you would open our minds and our hearts to the word of God this morning, and that you would speak to us and that you would teach us. Father, I do think of John traveling to Tanzania, and I pray your special blessing upon him. God, give him traveling mercies. Give the the Furch family, give them your grace and your mercy as as John's away. And Father, we think of the young bloods, Lord, just going to Germany and just so many things happening in the last couple of days. And Father, we pray for health. We pray for peace. We pray for comfort. Uh, Father, we want to stand with them and encourage them. And so, Father, we ask that you, uh, the great physician, the great healer, the one who is all wise would continue to lead them, guide them, direct them. And Father, we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. So when you go back and look at the context of where we're at in Mark chapter 7, we know that Jesus has fed the 5,000 people, a great miracle, and he's walked on water. And, and we, so we have these, these wonderful miracles being performed by Jesus. And what we see here is Jesus is outside of Jerusalem. He's probably maybe 100 miles away from Jerusalem. He's kind of getting toward the end of his Galilean uh, journey, if you will. And they, the, the religious leaders, the, the teachers of the law, and they gather around him. By the way, this is not a meeting greet. This isn't, hey, let's get together with Jesus and let's find out how good he is. Let's find out more information about them. What they are doing is they are confronting him about who he is and what he's done. If you go back and look at Mark chapter 2, they had already accused Jesus of being an outsider. Why? Because you hang out with the tax gatherers and sinners. You hang out with all the wrong people and you're not separated. You, you have defiled yourself because of the people that you're hanging on to. In chapter 2, verse 18, they had questioned him about the idea of fasting. You know what? Your disciples don't follow the rules. They don't follow the traditions of the elders. They don't fast like we do. They're not spiritually minded like we do. In chapter 2, verse 23, they were accused of violating the Sabbath by eating a little bit of grain. Oh, you're not doing the things that that we've asked you to do. You're not following the traditions of the elders. And by the way, in chapter 3, verse 22, they had outright called Jesus evil. He's saying, you know what, Jesus? You cast out demons by the power of Satan. And so this is not a meet and greet about who Jesus is. They don't want to know more information about him. They're coming with their, with their, their, their hands full of accusations against him, against him, and they want to confront him about not following the rules, traditions of the elders. How in the world... Can they get to that point after all that they had seen and heard about Jesus? All the wonderful miracles that he'd done, the people that he touched, the lives that were radically changed, because how in the world could they get to that point? 
And by the way, did you notice in verse 1 that they were gathered around him? You get this idea that, that Jesus is there, disciples are there, and all of a sudden the religious leaders, well, they're just surrounding him. And they have an agenda. And their agenda is to go after him. And their agenda is to confront him. There was just no friendly gathering. Let's go meet at this, the Starbucks, or let's go meet at uh, Panera Bread Co., and let's talk about this person of Jesus. They already knew who he was in their mind, and what they were doing is they were evaluating Jesus based upon their own religious tradition, not based upon the miracles that they've seen, not based upon the teaching, not based upon the truth that they brought. What they were doing is they were simply basing their evaluation of Jesus from their own traditions and their own laws. They lost the idea of what God had told them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these were the religious elite. They had been given the responsibility to what? To pass on the truth about God to the next generation of people. And what do they do? They accuse them. Well, you know, you're not washing your hands like we do. We have this ceremonial washing that we go through anytime we gather to eat. Listen, this wasn't a hygiene issue. This was a tradition that had been passed down from generation to generation about how they rightly related to God. And it was all about defilement. This is all about separation. This is all about external doings, if you will. Notice the question they pose in verse 5. It reveals to us a little bit about their hearts and about where they thought and about what they wanted other people to do in relation to how they walked with God. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law they asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? This is not a question about who Jesus is. It's an accusation about who he is as a person, as the Son of God, who's come to reveal truth. And what they did is they'd absolutely twisted the scriptures in the relationship with God. The religious leaders rejected the miracles of Jesus because they had their own understanding of what constitutes a relationship with God. And it was all about following the ex externals. It's about following the rules. It's about following the regulations. about following the traditions of men. Over and over in this passage, it talks about the tradition of the elders. It talks about traditions, about them following simply what had been passed down, word of mouth, from person to person. You can't be in God's family because you don't read the Bible that we read. You can't be in God's family because you don't dress the way that we dress. You can't be in God's family because you have tattoos. You can't be in God's family because we have added all of these external things to a relationship with God. And what Jesus was simply doing is he's confronting their external understanding of who he was and how they related to God in an external basis. When you look at the teaching and you look at the practice of the washing of hands, this actually began in the Old Testament as a command given to the priests. If you go back and look at Deuteronomy, the priests have been given a command, and the command was this. When you go into the, into the temple, when you go into the tabernacle, and you go to celebrate, when you go to offer, when you go to pray, what you need to do is you need to wash your hands, and you need to wash your feet. And it was given only to the priests, and, was, and that was to be handed down through Aaron and to all of the priests after him. But it was never required of the people. It was never required of the people. And so what had happened is they had taken this, this command given to Aaron, the priest, and the generations after them, and they thought, oh, this is a good idea because what we don't want to do is we don't want to be violated like they might be violated. 
And notice what the text says in verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews, in other words, they took this command given to the priests and began to incorporate it into their own lives so that they would embrace it and feel like we are doing the very thing that God wants us to do. We are separating ourselves from all kinds of evil, if you will. And what began as a specific instruction to the priests hundreds of years before this had taken on a life of its own. And so what they did, they grabbed onto this idea of washing and it became part of their tradition and the scholars and the elders began to pass down this information by word of mouth over and over and over and they handed it down to the next generation. And it was no way rooted in scripture. It was rooted in scripture given to something that the priests would do and only the priests would do. I wonder if we have a tendency to do those things. You know, we, we only wear a certain kind of clothes in church. We don't get tattoos. We, we, we don't do all of these external kinds of things. We have a little bit of scripture, but it begins to take a life of its own as we begin to add our, all these other restrictions and things to our relationship to God and how we should operate. How did they get there? How did they get to this point? And how do we, how do we get to this point? See, I think what happened was this, that the Jewish people, they had the Old Testament. They had the, the law, they had the historical books, they had the Psalms, they had, the, they, they had all of this wonderful teaching that God had given to them. They had this revelation from God. But these other people, the, the religious leaders, the elders, they began to bring interpretations on how to apply that law into their lives. So what they did was they began to have all of these oral traditions or oral law that they embraced. And so what they would do, one scholar would have this interpretation of the law, and another scholar would have an interpretation of the law, and what they would do is they would pass that down from person to person, from generation to generation, rabbi to rabbi. And it was all done orally. It was all passed down orally. That's how important it was for them to pass this down. Around 200 AD, as the Jewish nation began to be fractioned, fractured and, and, and to uh, be dispersed all around, they began to write these down because they, they didn't want to forget them. It was ma- becoming more and more difficult to do this orally, so what they did was they wrote it down, and this became something called the Mishnah. It became the, called the Mishnah. And it was something that, that they wrote down, that they embraced, that they followed as a part of their sacred tradition, if you will. There were six divisions that dealt with agriculture, festivals, marriage, civil life, crime, and ceremonies. And this is what happened with the Mishnah. The Mishnah stated this, tradition is the fence around the law. You see what they did? Tradition is the fence around the law. That was straight out of the Mishnah. So what they said was, hey, listen, we have the law right here, but what our tradition does is our tradition puts a a, a fence around the law. Why? Because we don't want people to violate the law, so what we're going to do is we're going to build this fence out there, and we're going to stop people right here so they don't get in there where they're violating the law. And what they did was they elevated this fence, if you will, above their own understanding of the law. And what they did was they created some incredibly amazing requirements in addition to the law. For example, the fifth commandment is to keep the Sabbath. Well, you know what their offense did? You know what their understanding of the oral, you know what they ended up doing is this. In order to protect people from violating the Sabbath, you could not look in the mirror because if you saw a gray hair, you might be... uh, tempted to pull it out, and that was considered work. Some of you are saying, I'd be dead today. 
And, and we laugh, but that's how they went. Here was the law, and they built this fence around it. The rabbis even got to the point where they were arguing whether a man with a wooden leg, if there was a fire in his house, if the man with a wooden leg could grab his leg and run out of the house when the fire is taking over his house. It's absurd. But what they wanted to do is they wanted to protect the law. And so what they did was they built this fence around the law and they added all of these external things that would guide and direct them, hopefully to garner their relationship with God and how they would view God. Can you see how when Jesus is uh, accused of breaking the Sabbath, how that can take a life of its own? Because they'd added all these rules and they'd added all these regulations. And instead of embracing the law and God's commands, they created a fence amount and they continued to add to it. And what's interesting is they didn't stop there. They added another group of teaching called the Gemara. And the Gemara was, was interpretations of the Mishnah. So you have, I mean, think about it. You have, you have God's revelation, God's law. Then you have the Mishnah. Then you have the, the, the Garama. And then you have this Jewish Talmud and all of these things, all of this oral history was a part of their tradition, was a part of who they were. It was a part of their relationship with God. And they added all these rules, all these regulations and commands in their relationship with God. You see how dead they were? They had reduced their relationship with God to following the rules and the regulations. All of these oral traditions, all of these oral things that have been handed down from one generation to another. And they weren't even by scripture. And what was sad is they added, they added to this in the sense of that became their authority. Not the word of God. There was a, uh, uh, the Jewish Talmud, uh, again, which is a, a part of that wider range of the oral tradition, the wider range of all of those um, oral traditions and writing, said this, um, it is a greater crime to transgress the words of the school of Rabbi Hillel than the words of Scripture. In other words, the words of Rabbi Hillel, and by the way, he was the one that helped bring the, uh, the mission into being. Um, his words are more binding than scripture. Did you see what they're doing? They're elevating their own tradition. They're elevating that above the very commands of God. And they were adding to it. They were adding things that God never intended to be. Do you realize that in the Mishnah, there are 30 chapters about the ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and pots? Do you remember when your mom, when you were growing up, and you get ready, you're like seven or eight, and your mom says, oh, wash your hands before dinner. I, I'd have been dead. I'd have, they'd have had to take me out and stone me. There's no doubt I would have violated all of that because there's no way we can fulfill the rules, the regulations, all that God would have for me. We would be constantly looking over our shoulder. What is it God wants from me? And, and what happens is, is the relationship with God becomes sterile and it becomes external. And you're always looking over your shoulder, wondering, did I violate that? Did I violate that? And it robs us from the very heart of who Jesus is and what he wants for us. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Is it important how we dress in the church? Obviously it is. I want to dress appropriately. You want to dress appropriately. But we don't hang on to our traditions 
in such a way that we look down upon other people and where they are and what they may be going through in life. Is it wrong to get a tattoo? Well, yeah, people would say, well, you can look at Leviticus. Well, if you're going to do that, then you've got to look at all the Old Testament, right? Don't you have to do that? See, what we begin to do is we begin to look and make value judgments on other people based upon the things they do and maybe the clothes that they wear. And what Jesus wants is he wants us to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and not get so caught up in the external things, tattoos and drinking and association that we forget of how Jesus has radically changed us on the inside and how he wants a relationship with him based upon grace and truth. And I wonder if at times the world, the unchurched, unreached people are looking at us and wondering some of the same things. Are we truly loving Jesus or are we becoming a club that just is concerned about external behavior? In other words, we want people to change before they come to church. We want them to change their behavior, change their attitude before they have a confrontation before, with Jesus. And Jesus is the one that changes their, their heart and their mind and their soul. How did Jesus confront this issue? Well, how would you expect the man who's described as the word made flesh, full of grace? How, how would he respond to them? You know what he does? He confronts the traditions, traditions of the elders, and he confronts them with the very word of God. Look at verse 6 and 7. And what he does, he gets to the heart of the issue. This is the heart of the issue here about tradition. This is the heart that Jesus opens up. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching are but rules taught by men. He took them back to their own spiritual elders. The commands of God were to be Moses and the prophet Isaiah. He took them back to scripture and directed them and said, and by the way, what you are doing, you have elevated your traditions. You have elevated the opinions and the teachings of men. You have elevated all of those things and given them authority above the very word of God. And if you go back and look at the context of Isaiah chapter 29, Isaiah was speaking to a people who had given up on their relationship with God. They had made their relationship with God all about the externals. I do this, I do this, I do this. And God was bringing them to a point of judgment. He was going to judge their life because of all of the externals that they had done. And their hearts had strayed so far away. They were worshiping God in vain. You are a bunch of spiritual phonies is what you are. Because you are so wrapped up in the tradition, so wrapped up in all of this external stuff that you have forgotten what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You know how far they had gone in their understanding of the rabbis in this teaching? One of the rabbis said this, he who expounds the scriptures in opposition to the tradition has no share in the world to come. That's how far they had taken this. They had elevated their traditions of the teaching of the elders so far above the word of God that if you speak against that, you have no share in the life to come. And what Jesus says is he confronts them. 
he confronts them with Moses, the commands of God, and he confronts them with the prophet Isaiah and said, you know what you've done? You have embraced all of these external things, all of these things that don't really matter, and you have made them and you have put them above what Scripture says. Look at verse 8. Notice how Jesus confronts them on what they had done. You have let go of the commands of God. You've let go of Moses. You've let go of truth. You've let go of the historical books. You've let go of the prophet. You've let go of all of these things. And now what do you do? You're grabbing on to the traditions of man. You have let go of this body of truth, and now you've embraced what this fence around God's law is. And that's more important to you than the very essence of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. They exchanged the authority of God's word for their traditions that they'd held on to. Look at verse 9. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. You know what they created? They created their own man-made religion. That's what they did. This was their own man-made religion. And they ripped out the very heart of God and the commands of God and the law of God and the beauty of the scriptures to elevate themselves and their traditions and their teachings above all that God would have and wanted. They put people in these little boxes and these boxes that they couldn't even get out of because life was so constrained with them trying to figure out how do I obey the law? How do I obey the traditions of men? I, I wonder if at times we don't do some of the same things. He called them hypocrites. I wonder if we at times don't do some of the same thing. This is what I mean. We attend church. We attend church every Sunday. But our hearts are a little bit farther from Jesus. Now, church is something I do on a Sunday morning. Well, I, I did it as a kid. Maybe reading the Bible has become stale. You know, the, the, the singing, or, or singing. Did you remember the song that we, it's, it's just a song is what it is. Our, our hearts have strayed from the true essence of who God is and what he would have for our lives. We talk about love, but we don't love our neighbors. We talk about forgiveness, but we don't forgive other people. We talk about all these wonderful truths, but what we don't do is we don't apply them to our lives. We become rule keepers, if you will. We begin to look at all of the other people, especially those outside the church, and recognize that they're bad and we simply need to separate from them, as opposed to walking with them, I mean a part of them, and being on the road with them like Jesus was on the road with people introducing them to the Savior by crawling into their life and getting to know them and trying to find out what's going on and keep the essence not on the rules and regulations of Scripture but on the person of Jesus because that's the essence of our faith is the person of Jesus. Listen, I get it. Traditions are important. I get it. All of that's important. But what's really important is who Jesus is and what he's done and how he directs our life. Notice what Jesus does in verses 10 through 13. He confronts them with a specific practice, and it goes to the very heart of how they had changed. Let me ask you something. Do you love your mom and dad? Do you, do you love your mom and dad, and do you want to honor them? Man, I sure do. I want to honor my dad. I want to honor my family. I want to do all that I can. I want you to notice how their hearts had changed in verses 10 through 13, how they had twisted Scripture, how they had elevated their traditions above what the commands of God would have. Notice what he says. Jesus continues on and says, For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. That is from Exodus uh, chapter tw uh, 12, 21, verse 12. 
and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. That's from Exodus chapter 21. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many other things. So what Exodus said is to honor your father and mother and to provide for them. Not just as children, but even when they're older, what you have and I have, we have a responsibility to honor our parents. And that's what we're supposed to do. But what they've done is this. They've taken this idea that maybe they have some money, maybe they have some house, a house, maybe they have something else. Oh, what we can do now is according to the traditions of the elders, I can now devote that to God. I can make a vow and I can devote that to God. And rather than being able to help my parents, their parents... Maybe the parents would ask, you know, maybe we're a little shorter. We need something here. Their response would be, well, you know what I did? I'm sorry. I can't help you. I actually did something really, really good. I did something really, really spiritual. I gave that to God. I devoted that to God. And I made a vow before God. And I cannot break that vow before God. And rather than helping their parents and loving their parents and honoring their parents, they had told so twisted scripture through the traditions they'd gone in a different direction and by the way what's interesting of this this idea of Corbin devoted to God they still retained control over it in other words they could do whatever they wanted with it they still had this idea of retaining control over it but it was still devoted to God and so for them it was a win-win I don't have to help my parents but I still have the idea of I can retain control over it and by the way there's teaching in the tradition of the elders that allowed them to do that, that allowed them to break a vow. Isn't that interesting? How they had so twisted scriptures that they could not even see to help their parents. And I wonder if that's what tradition does at times. It robs us of the unique person of Christ, who he is, what he's done for us, And it makes our religion, it makes our relationship with God something external. It's all about this thing and this thing. Well, I was baptized as a child. I go to church every Sunday. I give my money. I pray. I do all of those things. By the way, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus confronted the spiritual leaders about those very issues, didn't he? He confronted their hearts because they thought the essence of the relationship with Jesus was all about the externals and not about the internals, about worship and who Jesus is and what he would have for our lives. Okay, a couple of things for application. Let me just throw out a couple of things. By, by the way, I, I, cannot, I, I cannot go through every aspect of what a tradition would be and where it's right and right. You, you have to figure that out. We all have to figure that out. But I think what this does is it allows us to have freedom in our relationship with Christ. What do we need to do? Look at this. Is it truth or traditions? Are we hanging on to the truth or God's word, or are we hanging on to our traditions? There's a lot of good traditions in the, in the church. There's a lot of good traditions at Hope Church. But do we elevate those traditions above the word of God? No, we don't do that. We want our traditions to come from the word of God. Second thing is this. There's only one person who can make you clean, and that's Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can make us clean. When I embrace him for who he is, what he's done for my life. And when I look at him, and I look at the beauty of Jesus, and the life that he lived, 
and his teaching and his miracles. And the fact that he went to the cross and offered himself as a, sacri- as a payment for my sin, that should radically alter the way that I want to live. I should want to live in relationship with him and who he is and what he's done for us. Jesus is the one who makes us clean. Look at Colossians chapter 2. It says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. We're not any different than the early church. If you go back and look at the struggle of separation and food, it's woven all throughout the life of the church. Book of Acts. Peter has this vision. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. What was the principle? Lord, I've not touched anything impure. Separation is there. The Jerusalem council, what are they doing? They're deciding on what should be eaten, about circumcision, about externals. Galatians chapter 2, Paul confronts Peter. Why? Because Peter used to hang out with the Gentiles, and now he didn't want to hang out with the Gentiles. Well, because of this idea of separation. So for us to think that this doesn't relate to us, I think we're being a little bit naive. Listen, it's hard to break traditions, isn't it? Hard to wear jeans on a Sunday morning. Will I do it again? I have no idea. Probably not. But that's the freedom that I have. Truth or tradition, Jesus is the one who makes us clean. Don't evaluate people's spiritual condition based upon your religious traditions. Don't look at the life of another person and make a judgment about their spiritual condition based upon the externals. Like, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner for wearing jeans on Sunday morning. Let me just tell you something. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner when I have a suit on. Right? But I love Jesus. And I love his word. And I know you too. Don't make evaluations of people's spiritual condition based upon your own religious tradition. And the last two things is, what traditions, parents, are you passing down to your children? What traditions are you passing? There's a lot of great traditions. What are you passing down? Are they rooted in Scripture? And the last thing is, what, what Scripture are you passing down to your children? What biblical truths are you passing down to your children in the midst of the chaos of a world that's gone mad? Because don't, don't we want to help our children to relate to the culture that they're in? Man, kids are having a really tough time in schools nowadays. I can't imagine how difficult it is for a parent nowadays and navigating all the changes that are going on in schools. I I don't even know how you do it. How do we continue to hang on to the biblical truths that have been given to us in the Word of God, and how do we continue to live out those things? I think one of the ways that we do, we keep our eyes focused on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Father, I'm not sure how the idea of traditions confront us this morning. Uh, Father, we all love you. We care for you. And uh, I I ask that you would simply open our minds and our hearts to the truth of your word and some of the things that we hold. And Father, I pray that we would be mindful of the traditions that we might have in our family, in our churches, and that we would be open to others and we would see the lives of other people and we would be open to change. Father, that we would not make value judgments, spiritual judgments on other people based upon our own understanding. Father, that there would be much room for grace and mercy in the family of God. And Father, I pray 
that we would not worship you in vain, but we would look to the unique person of Jesus. And as he continues to transform us through the Spirit of God who lives inside of us, Lord, that we would love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we would also love our neighbor as ourselves. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the way that you cleanse us. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray.